Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, Maduni Christian, the editor of Airline Weekly, and I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Edward Ned Russell, uh, who works with me at Airline Weekly and its gift, covering the airlines. In today's episode, we talk about the Boeing 777-200, United Boeing 777-200 that lost part of its engine cowling over Denver, and how that was probably overplayed in the mainstream media and, and was... Well, the real story is that the aircraft, the engine, and the fl- flight crew delivered and acted as they should have. Like nothing was out of order. The aircraft landed safely and the engine was contained. However, if you watch the mainstream news, you'd think that uh, it was a narrowly averted disaster. So that, we go into that. We go into the, the vacuum left behind by Norwegian's retrenchment and what that means for transatlantic and um intra-European travel. And we talk about all the uh, the airport improvement projects that have ki- that's kind of been a silver lining of this pandemic. With fewer passengers, airports are able to uh, revamp terminals and resurface runways. I hope you enjoy the show. If you have any feedback, you can reach me at mu at skiff.com and you can reach Ned at er, that's er for Edward Russell at skiff.com. And check us out at airlineweekly.com. If you don't subscribe, we update the site every day with news and our weekly issues drop every Monday. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the show. Good morning, Edward Ned Russell. Thanks for joining us today. Morning, Madhu. So a lot happened this weekend in the airline industry. A lot, uh, a lot that, uh, well, I'm not going to say much ado about nothing, but a lot of noise about something that really wasn't as terrifying as, or as, you know, as, uh, as terrifying as it seemed in the, in, on TV and in the media. But United Airlines 777-200 operating from Denver um, experienced a, um, I guess what the NTSB is calling a cowling separation incident uh, over Denver. And the, the, the pictures were absolutely frightening. I mean, there were big bits of the nacelle and the cowling in somebody's front yard and, and um, in Denver, in the Denver area there, I think video surfaced of the engine operating without its cowling. And you could see the, you know, the, the combustion and it was, it was pretty awful, but, but, did this need to lead the nightly news for three nights? Ned, let's let's talk about that. It did not need to lead the nightly news for three nights, Madhu, that's for sure. You know, a situation like this, and of course the investigation's ongoing, so we, we know very little, but right. you know, the, the looks like the engine uh, functioned as it was supposed to in, in an incident like a fan blade separated, and uh, the NTSB is say, calling it a contained engine failure, actually, right. with, with the cowling separation. And that is what is supposed to happen when when a fan blade separates. Now, it looks like in the process of the cowling coming off, there was some fuselage damage. And, you know, it, it doesn't look great. But uh, by all, all accounts, it looks like the crew handled this as they should. And they returned to the airport and everyone was safe. Yeah. So, yeah, it, three nights on the new, nightly news seems overkill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, this is and the other thing, you know, I saw I think I saw some reporting uh, on, on TV that, uh, you know, about how the triple seven is one of the most popular aircraft in the commercial fleet and how, you know, trying to tie it back to Boeing and the max, but I think it's important to stop and remember first that of the 1600 triple sevens of all types that Boeing has built, 
only I think it's fewer than 150 have the Pratt and Whitney Series 4000 engine on them. That's uh, right. Just it's very few airplanes. United Airlines, the only operator in the U.S., Japan Airlines in Japan. And more than half the fleet is parked at the moment because of right. the COVID crisis. So it is a tiny fraction of 777s out there. Um, but, you know, when you your comments about equating it to Boeing and the MAX, I fear, you know, I got a text message from my aunt last night mm-hmm. saying they're grounding all 777s. Uh, there's media out there presenting this argument, not, not going to the nuance, the details, that this is a small subset of a fleet. This is not a systematic issue for, for the whole plane. Exactly. And also, you know, it's important to remember, this is not a really a Boeing issue. It's a Pratt & Whitney issue. Exactly. Um, the, it's, a, it's an engine that was, uh, as we said, not used on very many of the, the 777 fleet. I believe um, six, Boeing said 69 are in service and 59 are in storage worldwide. So, you know, when we're talking, as we said, you know, this is one of the most popular commercial aircraft uh, most common commercial aircraft in the worldwide fleet. And uh, we're talking about 150 or so right. out of 1,600. Um, but yeah, it's not a Boeing issue. It's not. It's a Pratt & Whitney issue. I think the, the... And, you know, you and I have talked about this many times, those of us who, you know, work in and around the airline industry. Um, the the issue wasn't so much that everything functioned that it, as it should have. It was that there was a lot of terrifying video. And exactly. a lot of terrifying images, right? I mean, there are, as we said, like cute pictures of, of, you know, the inlet ring in somebody's front yard and cowling on the street. I think my and, favorite was when the, uh, when the inlet ring uh, showed up on eBay. For, <laughs> 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 I don't think it was an actual auction, but, um, or, uh, you know, actually going to be sold. But the joke auction caught a lot of, uh, caught a lot of eyes. <laughs> and for the record, you cannot sell parts that fall in your yard that are part of an NTSB investigation. You that cannot. is, you <laughs> that, cannot. <laughs> that is correct. Um, the, and you know, the, uh, the, the video also, I mean, if even, you know, being, uh, covering this industry, like if I were on that triple seven and looked outside out the window and saw that, you know, uncowled engine with the combustion chamber on view, like I, I probably, I would be terrified as well. So the, this is what, you know, this is the problem, like, the, with the with the the non trade press is that they 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 took these videos and ran with them and made it a bigger story than it really should have and the real right. story should right. be that the aircraft and it, the engine functioned as it should and the crew brought the the aircraft back in first the safe crew landing. performed admirably they like you said they brought the plane back to Denver Airport safely landed everyone disembarked um, and went on to back to Hawaii on a flight later that day actually but um. The crew was, you know, worked well under the situation. It was, yeah, I think uh, a lot, the, the focus you went on, a lot went as it should with this, with the situation. And, you know, this was, uh, now, now we need to look at Pratt & Whitney engines, not Boeing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Pratt & Whitney PW4000 engines, I should say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, uh, before we go on to our next topic, uh, you mentioned uh, debris from, from an aircraft belonging to the NTSB and not subject to uh not available to auction off on ebay uh there's there's a small footnote of trivia here and that is that the ntsb is decommissioning the flight 400 the twa flight 400 um or flight 800 800 uh, flight 800 excuse me uh it's early in the morning here flight 800 um reconstruction that they have in, in virginia 
Uh, so this, I don't know if you've seen it, Ned, or if any of you listening have seen it. Uh, I've seen it as part of an NTSB training. It's the uh, Boeing, uh, Boeing 747 that took off from JFK in the 90s and exploded shortly after takeoff, uh, killing everyone on board. Um, per agreement with the families of uh, the victims, the reconstruction, and it's huge, it's most, uh, you know, about half of this trip of the 747, um, per agreement with the families that uh, reconstruction can only be used for educational purposes. The NTSB has now said that uh, technology has gone advanced far enough that they can scan the pieces and the reconstruction and use that for education rather than having the, 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 this massive, massive reconstruction in their facility. But per your, to your point, Ned, uh, the, the bits of the aircraft will be decommissioned and destroyed, so they will not be auctioned off on eBay, and that is illegal, as Ned mentioned. Uh, <laughs> so, so let's see, switching gears now. Um, Finnair reported its earnings last week. Um, Finnair is an interesting airline to me and to all of us, I think, because it's, uh, it is, thanks to Finland's geography, an important, makes a tidy amount of money going connecting Europe with Asia. And that um, that traffic is all but evaporated. Except, you know, they they mentioned uh, Finnair mentioned on its call that they have been operating flights to Shanghai, Hong Kong, Singapore, that are cargo base essentially cargo flights with a few passengers on them. So they've been making some money with with uh, cargo, mainly flying fish to fish and perishables to Asia and machine parts back from Asia to, to Europe. And they, you know, it was interesting. The CEO mentioned that uh, they're transporting a lot of cargo that ordinarily would have gone by ship, but or surface transport, but uh, is being forced onto aircraft because shipping is constrained. So that's another interesting you know, Little um, little footnote to this pandemic on how shipping patterns are changing because everyone's shopping at home and businesses need spare parts. But anyway, one, one thing interesting about Finnair's uh, call is um, the CEO mentioned Norwegian, called out Norwegian and its retrenchment as an opportunity for Finnair. Now, as we know, Norwegian, as part of its uh, sort of restructuring with, with to get state aid from its government, is going from about 147 aircraft, I believe, Ned, right? Yeah, 150 yeah right around there. To to 50 aircraft. It's giving up its its long long haul plans, um, its dreams of you know connecting the world low cost long haul, and will focus just on short haul um, Nordics and Europe flights. So, um, Ned, I know a lot of the airlines' earnings you've covered recently, even state in the states, have if not mentioned Norwegian by name, they've um, they've at least sort of hinted that right. their competitive right. playing field has changed. It's surprising how much you know Norwegian, as anyone, as most people in the industry know, is is really a, a new um, new phenomenon, sort of disrupting. Uh, disrupting the market. They only entered long haul, low cost, and I believe twenty thirteen. Yeah. You know, they've been in you know a major force in European uh, low cost flying for maybe a decade, a little over a decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, you know, they've essentially, like you said, they're they're retrenching to their to their core. You know, we've got and United Airlines. 
they didn't mention Norwegian in their call, but they talked about, you know, the changing competitive landscape, including the loss of a low-cost competitor. They they all but called on Norwegian, right? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And and now you have United adding a flight, a Boston-London flight, which... Mm -hmm. You know, many people would say, oh, they're coming in to compete with JetBlue, but you also need to think that Norwegian flew Gatwick, uh, Gatwick Boston for a number of years. So mm-hmm. it's a competitive opening. Yeah. So and- we're seeing a lot of, yeah, it, it seems like the, the you know, it's the big names in the industry are taking advantage of, of the, the competitive restructuring. But yeah, sorry, Madhu. Oh, no, no, sorry. I was just going to say, it was so, it was really, you know, if you just think back, it wasn't that long ago. In fact, you and I uh, saw each other on a a Norwegian Max uh, delivery (laughs) several years ago in in Seattle. Um, It it wasn't that long ago. I mean, yeah, the Norwegian was, you know, flying to places like Hartford, Connecticut. Um, It had set up a subsidiary in Argentina, which had sold to JetSmart. I mean, like, it was, it really had global ambitions. And, oh, yes. and it, you know, and to be honest, it, like it and WOW, um, the now defunct WOW, uh, brought transatlantic connections to a lot of places that didn't have them and, may, you know, and offered really cheap fares to get from places like, you know, Cincinnati or Cleveland to, to Europe. Um, but so, let's also note that I don't think WOW or Norwegian really ever turned a profit on these, no. these transatlantic services, which is a key, th- an important, important thing to remember. <laughs> Which is why WOW is gone and Norwegian is going to just going to be just a short haul airline. But uh, but for a few years there, I mean, for the if you think of it from the consumer perspective, for a few years there, I mean, there was they were really, really driving fares down and giving airlines like United and SAS and others a run for their money. um, You know, sort of disrupting this very lucrative transatlantic transatlantic franchise. which I mean, it's something. going to be interesting coming out of this because we're going to have that that low fare pressure out of the market, and mm-hmm. you know, from all accounts, we're going to have pent up demand. I, I hate to use that because I feel like everyone's saying, but it's true. <laughs> right. There's a lot of people that want to travel. I want to travel when when it's safe, you know, get on a plane, uh, and we're, they're going to be flying. And that's fares are going. You know, I fear fares are going to to jump. You know, I dare I say skyrocket. <laughs> Once all these people are booking flights on what will still be constrained capacity, especially right. in markets where there's no low cost competition, um, you know, fortunately for those in Europe who have seen their Norwegian routes disappear, it seems like Finnair and mm-hmm. uh, Vueling, which just announced a number of new routes between Scandinavia and uh, their their Mediterranean focus, will benefit from flights on other airlines, but those of us flying across the Atlantic might not might not be so lucky. <laughs> Well, and also there's a, and, you know, someone decided it was a good idea to uh, to launch an airline during this pandemic. Uh, Eric Bratton's uh, a longtime uh, aviation entrepreneur in the Nordics is uh, is launching a FLIR or FLIR, FLIR, however you say F L Y R FLIR with, with uh, five seven three seven eight hundreds. Then they plan to start uh, start in June, and they're they're gonna. You know, FLIR is going to connect um, the Nordics, but also will start some um, leisure destination, leisure routes to sun destinations in Spain and France, like uh, Barcelona, Malaga, Nice. Uh, Going to give Vueling so, a run for their money then. Exactly. <laughs> so, so you know, Norwegian is retrenching, and that uh, that's creating a vacuum on not just across the Atlantic, but within within its home market. Yeah. 
as uh, as Bob Mann, the aviation consultant Bob Mann, told me yesterday. I mean, airline <laughs> av- nature abhors a vacuum, and that's very much true in the airline industry. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This is a. Uh... This is uh, interesting. It's definitely watch the space sort of thing. So we will keep an eye on it. And I'll, uh, I'm curious to what will happen with uh, FLIR, 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 however yeah. you say it. FLIR? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so if someone, if someone knows how to pronounce it, please drop me a line at mu at skip.com because I want to know. <laughs> uh, anyway, so there's uh, – well, and I wanted to get to your point, Je- uh, I almost called you Jeff, but uh, Ned, uh, JetBlue – is planning to is jet can we is it fair to say JetBlue is sort of taking a little bit of Norwegian's mantle here with its uh, planned London flights? You know, I would I would say no, probably because JetBlue the way that they've been positioning their flight is is where they're going to lower um, premium fares. You know, they they talk about their mint launch in the transcontinental market, so it's New York, LA, San Francisco, and that was five years ago, six years ago, I forget when. And how they lowered sort of average premium fares in that market by a significant amount. I mean, they're still still pricey, but um, they did lower them. And they're talking about doing the same in the transatlantic, offering reasonable fares that could be attractive to leisure travelers or, or sort of small and medium-sized business travelers. The Whereas Norwegian was straight up budget discount. That said, I imagine JetBlue is going to have some cheap entry fares for their flights, but they're flying A321neos across the Atlantic. I mean, 150 seats. They're right. really not going to be. I don't see them as a replacement for Norwegian because that's just not their market segment. Right. Yeah. You know, but we shall see. We shall see. Right. It's a, a lot of things are in flux right now in the airline industry, and I, I imagine a lot of things will change between now and whenever this pent up demand is unleashed. Um, exactly. All right, and and I wanted to now turn to something you've been covering a lot, and that is. Um, New airport concourses. <laughs> That's right. There's a, you know one of the the you know I guess silver linings of the reduction in air travel around the world has mm-hmm. been airports have been able to step up construction of various yes. projects. So projects that you know might have had to be carefully phased so that airlines could continue flights. Mm-hmm. You know uh, they've been able to at LAX uh, Delta shut down Terminal Three entirely because they didn't need it. they don't need it for the the next two years. So they're shaving up to two years off the construction of the new Terminal Three there at LAX. Wow. But you know that's still still a few years away. But more immediately, you know Washington National here in the nation's capital. You know, they announced that they're going to be able to open up the new uh, regional jet concourse there in April, which is three months early, but d- directly attributable to the pandemic because they were able to, to accelerate that construction. Um, it might not sound like much when I say regional jet concourse, but it's a, it's, it replaces probably the most despised gate at any U.S. airport, gate 35X at Washington National, which... For Take it away, not... Ned. Tell us why it's so despised. <laughs> it's a horrible, it's a horrible travel experience. But tell us why. So basically, 35X is a small waiting room on the lower level of the concourse that feeds essentially 14 bus gates. <laughs> it is cramped. It is uncomfortable. The it's, it's everything that is not fun about flying. I, I had one. Uh, Twitter follower tell me that they bought an Admiral Club membership after having to go out of 35x twice just to <laughs> avoid the avoid wow. the uh, situation. 
And I think most famously, uh, back during the Mueller investigation of Donald Trump, uh, there was a picture shot that Politico got of Donald Trump Jr. sitting a few rows away from Robert Mueller because, yeah. uh, of course, everyone ends up in the same waiting room, regardless if they're going out of 35X. So that gate will finally, to uh, flyers, close uh, April, well, they hope by April 20th. Uh, mm. you know, knock on wood, you know, every, every, anything's possible, but uh, that's, it's finally going away. And, and how, you said it was three months early? It's three months early. You know, I've got the original product uh, project documents here, and they always said a 2021 opening with without any specific date. Mm-hmm. It's been July for probably a year or two, and now it's it's April, so it's about three months early. Uh, the, another part of the project, which is moving the security checkpoints, mm-hmm. so each concourse is sort of inside one secure area. That was supposed to open in 2019, and now it's uh, or 2020, excuse me, mm-hmm. and that's slipped to the end of the year. So that's behind schedule. But they've they've unfortunately they've faced other challenges with it that the pandemic has not really been able to alleviate. So behind behind with that. So that's exciting. Oh, I should say American Airlines will use the new concourse. So for mm-hmm. American Airlines travelers, they they can expect to see a shiny new space come April timeframe. But it's, it's not just in Washington. Los Angeles is also getting ready to open up their new midfield concourse. Uh, it's not necessarily early, but it should open in May, and that's going to be a big bonus to anyone flying out of the Tom Bradley terminal there. You know, it's a, yeah, it's a nice new spacious satellite concourse connected by a walkway. It looks nice, uh, though. I don't, it's, it'd be interesting. I'm curious who's going to use it. There was a lawsuit a few years ago by Hawaiian yeah. Airlines that they were being forced to move, and their concern was the cost of operating out of the midfield concourse is higher than operating out of T5, where they are now, Madhu, and, and that it also made it hard for their, their co-chair partners, because they co-chair with a lot of smaller U.S. carriers, right. JetBlue and likes, like, the connection was longer, so there was a, they filed a lawsuit, and I don't know exactly where that went, <laughs> the uh, Los Angeles uh, operators board notes in their closed session always note, uh, you know, legal discussions, Hawaiian <laughs> Airlines, and you don't know what Singh said, but yeah, so that's, it's it's going to be another action-packed spring of concourse openings, at least here in the U.S. Yeah, it is, you know, it's it's funny, it's interesting you mentioned it, that it has been one, one of the few, that uh, airport capital improvement projects moving ahead faster, and um, and cargo have been two of the, the bright spots of, of this pandemic. I mean, the right. only silver linings. Uh, Brisbane in Australia uh, was able to move, to open its its new runway. Um, and Bahrain uh, opened an entire new terminal. I exactly. Yeah. Um, didn't and I believe Delta did some work on Salt Lake City. All these uh, things... Salt Lake City did some work of which Delta's the main tenant, as the okay. airport will tell you there. <laughs> we'll correct thank you. you. <laughs> thank you for the correction. But but you know all around the world we're seeing uh, the, when it's just easier to do these projects when when there are fewer passengers and fewer flight operations, um, and that no one wants that obviously, but it has made for faster airport projects. So that exactly. that's one thing. And and of course my favorite topic, cargo. It's it's been it has been a real bright spot here in this pandemic. Um and uh yeah that's uh that's a wrap, Ned. We we got through a lot today. We got through the triple seven, we got through through uh the flight eight hundred <laughs> decommissioning. Um and uh yeah um 
and airport projects and of course Norwegian. I, I am really curious to see and I, and I really I ask our listeners what you know feel free to write us it and tell us what you think will happen with uh, with uh, this vacuum left by the retrenchment of Norwegian both in Europe and across the Atlantic. You can reach Ned at er at skiff.com and you can reach me at mu at skiff.com. Ned, once again, thanks for joining me, and uh, it's always thanks a pleasure. Thanks for you. That's your <laughs> it's, job. It's so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we'll we'll do this again next week. To all Sounds our listeners, good. check us out at airlineweekly.com. If you don't subscribe, we update the site every day with news um, and uh, as AW Daily and this podcast. You can check out our archive at airlineweekly.com as well. And once again, if you have any comments for either of us, it's Ned Russell at er at skift.com that's er for edward russell at skift.com and me i'm maduni christian mu at skift.com goodbye thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the airline weekly lounge podcast should you have comments or questions drop editor maduni christian a note at mu at skift.com of course Check out AirlineWeekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.